kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. Welcome to One Talk Podcast. I'm joined here as always by my producer and friend and assistant and partner and what's your title at my office? Chief of Staff. Chief of Staff. (laughs) I like Chief of Staff. Forget about Secretary. You're not my Secretary. You're my partner and Chief of Staff, Carlo. And today, Carlo brought me a gentleman named Brian Brown. Brian's an author, Emmy Award winning journalist. You won an Emmy? I won 15 Emmys. Wow, I like that. Yeah. And professor at Fordham University. Great yeah. school in the Bronx. Great law school up there. Are you a lawyer? I'm not a lawyer. I know lawyers. Okay. I know some good lawyers. Okay. How I'm many books? How many books have you written? This is the third book. This is my third book. And what was the other books you wrote? So the first book was TV, a novel. Yeah. It, it was based on a live television director named Caesar Fortunato. Yeah. Um, almost got made into a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I knew you then because uh, <laughs> I would have gotten it to Scorsese, your buddy. Uh, then I wrote a book called Ring Force, a children's book. So I did a lot of Olympics. Yeah. My, and, and, and so it was a kid's book with an Olympic theme. And then this book, Someone is Out to Get Us, A Not-So-Brief History of Cold War Paranoia and Madness, which you lived. I lived, and I, 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 can, I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you I read the, the book, but I did read excerpts. And there's some really in-depth questions that I think we'll have a lively discussion because Good. I lived it. So I have my own reality feelings about it, and I re- I respect what you're what you've done in this book. But that's an opinion because you didn't live it. Well, I lived some of it. I'm not Come that on. young. Come on, 1957. 60s. What were you? Where were you? All right. So here's my first. Where were you? 57. Oh, 50. Oh, you and your mom. No, I guess maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so we're gonna get. Yes. I want to go you back to the it. Emmy Awards first. Yeah. What kind of Emmy Awards did you win? So I worked on 12 different Olympic broadcasts, and all of the Emmys are associated with the Olympics, a couple of them for writing. So first Olympics I worked was 1988, Seoul, South Korea. Yeah. The last Olympics I worked was 2012, London, and then there were 10 of them in between those. So Emmys meaning what? What did you do to win an Emmy? Were you behind the production side? Were you directing? What were you doing? So the last Emmy uh, I won was for writing. It was... These are the sports Emmys, so not quite as highfalutin as the primetime Emmys. So you got them, like, you didn't get them in front of the camera, they just handed you the one Emmy. No, no, no. They That's big, the ones they give out, like... No, no, no they, have a big, they have a big ceremony, <laughs> and it's the real thing, you know, the Emmys are big. Yeah. Uh, they don't, That's pretty quite... Yeah, no, it's all good. So what, the last Emmy I got was for writing the opening film of the 2012 London Games. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the script... It was voiced by Emily Blunt and uh, Ian McGregor. Wow. Um, I also, I wrote, so the... Goodman. Roger Goodman. Whatever, he, now, he's, that's an ABC name. Yeah, but that was, he did he Olympics. Was, he, he did. He did. So he, he's an he's a old friend of mine. We were going to do something together, and Roger Goodman, quite a nice fella, and he has a lot of credi- credibility credentials, you know, Emmys and stuff, too. So the ABC bunch, the yeah. Rune Arledge bunch, Rune they... they um, I worked for Dick Ebersol, who who was the, who was the guy who was taught by Rune Arledge. Yeah. So, ABC. I knew Dick too. I'm, sh- I'm <laughs> sure. I'm sure there's there's virtually almost nobody famous. I don't so know. I, I mentioned that you probably I don't know. I just know everybody, you and do. it's the truth. You do. So so Dick 
uh, ABC, ABC established, ABC energized, ABC did the, the sort of, they, they built the edifice on which the Olympics was built. And Rune Arledge had to tell that story, had to make it exciting for the American. So th- that was an ABC thing, and then NBC kind of bought it and, yeah. and, and took over. And then NBC is the today's go-to place for the Olympics, and that's Correct. very nice. Yeah. All right. Fuck the Olympics. Okay, let's okay. talk about you. Yeah. Okay, why did you turn into writing and journalism? What reason did you go into that? Well, I, I, Instead of being a prize fighter or some shit. So um, I, went to, I went to Columbia here in New yeah. York uh, on, on the uh, fabulous Morningside Heights. And I worked in the college paper, the Columbia Daily Spectator. And I always wanted to get into newspaper work at first. Mm-hmm. And my first job was was a copy boy at the New York Times. I worked at the New York Times, worked on the foreign desk. They were on uh, 44th Street? At the time, they were 43rd. 43rd. Yeah, yeah, on 43rd, before they moved into the new building. Huh. My first memory of working at the New York Times was in 1978. I was a copy boy. This was when I was still in college. 78, copy yeah, boy. Right, guys. 78, New York. I worked the overnight shift, the 7 to 3, the, the lobster shift. Yeah, uh-huh. night So New York, Times Square, 1978, uh, I was living in New Jersey at the time, and I would run for, at 3 in the morning. I would run from 43rd there between 7th and 8th to the parking lot over on 10th. I would run because I'd be asked for dates in this very menacing way by very <laughs> tall African-American <laughs> men dressed in women's clothing who would speak in a baritone voice. You were probably you, cute as a young boy. I was cute. Yeah. I, had, I had curly hair. Oh my a, God! You would have been like a, a date? Poop, you would have been like a poo poo platter for some of these transvestites. What they call now? Transvestite. What they call these things? Oh, okay. So, I, I'm very politically incorrect, Carlo. Oh, I call them a transvestite, trans transformers, whatever the hell you want to call them. I really don't give a flying crap about it. Okay. Point is, they chased you. Go ahead. Those they, things. Yes. And so, but I was fast. Yeah. And I would run. <laughs> but uh, to uh, people. The city, New York City in the 1970s? Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. excuse me. Uh, moi, I, I, I was God. saving New York City in the I, 70s. I'm sure you I were. I was starting to highlight of my, I was one of the original decoys that I would dress up like you, and I'd be walking around with my long hair, yeah, yeah, yeah. and these uh, transformers would come after me. But you know what they'd do to me? I'd have a wallet to watch out. They'd rob me. And I'd let them rob me. And I'd say, give me my wallet back. And they go, F off, punk. I said, no, 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 um, Mr. Punk to you. Boom! I crack them, lock their ass up for robbing me on the streets. I was a decoy. 500 times I got locked. I was hospitalized 30 times. Stan, shut up. This is not fair. You were able to rack up... if. You were able to rack up so many arrests. The city was the city was the wild west in the 1970s. And I, I counted them up because I know because you were too done easy. That all night. It was too freaking easy. You're you're right there. <laughs> city was a very scary well, to, place to bring it down. It was a scary place in the 70s. Not scary to me. I I got robbed one time. Seven times in one door. It was 588th Avenue. It was an aluminum doorway. I'll never forget. But I had my backup teams. As they were robbing me, I would make sure that they do it real fast. I let the guy walk around the block so no one would see it. Then I grab him, get him in the head, like boom, punch him a couple times. Backup team, collar him. He got you got him for robbing my wallet. This guy here, he robbed my chain. And then we'd put him in a van. We had the windows all blacked out. And I would uh, store up the nuts like a squirrel. <laughs> and these, I'd store up the nuts. You know what the nuts were? These pricks that were robbing me, the son of a bitches. One night, seven times, one doorway, I got mugged. 
Bo Dino got mugged at 588 to have you seven times, seven times in one night. So that's seven arrests. Yeah, well, I had quite a few, but the thing was that... No, you were a detective at that time. I was, yeah. yeah I, was, right. but I wasn't standing in a fucking you're, uniform. You're, you're, you're undercover detective yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay, okay, let's do something, because that was a... Uh, so we understand you running for your life, working for the Times. But what basically is this whole interview is about this book, right. which is a very interesting thing, because I went through it. I Like I said, I feared... I feared being attacked by the Russians. So let's let's go right into that about the Cold War. Now let's bring the people who are listening. We got a lot of listeners. The Cold War was the war that occurred after World War II. After we lobbed the uh, the nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and uh, and then you say something in the book again, which I have a little bit of problem with because I lost two uncles in Iwo Jima, mm-hmm. Uncle Frankie, mm-hmm. Uncle Johnny. Mm-hmm. And the Fourth Marine Division, mm-hmm. and these little snail creeps, they were hidden in the ground, and they were ready to blow themselves up. They were ready to take those kamikazes and go into our ships and Torah, 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 blow! So the reality of what it would have taken to take Japan, we're going right into it, because that's part of the Cold War, am yeah. I correct? Yeah. Because we're, we're rounding out the end of World War II when we lobbed two nuclear bombs on near uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. You're saying in the book that it was not necessary? And I'd like to have that little debate with you now. Yeah, let's have that debate. Because I'm going to tell you something right now, and I'll give you some more statistics about, you heard of Bataan? The marching battalion. Oh, yeah. You're an educated guy. Yeah. And how many Americans were involved? In, how many survived? We were dealing with probably as bad, if not worse, than these Muslim fanatics. And to take the island of Japan at that time and fight on the streets, they say a million lives would have been lost. I, I, I concur, maybe more. So my point is, if we didn't lob those two nuclear bombs, we didn't know what we were lobbing. It was Fat Boy, right? Fat Boy. Fat Boy was one of them, right? Yeah, Fat Boy. Right. And 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 and, and who was the guy? I got the model of that B twenty nine in my office. Tibbets. Yeah, Tibbets. Tib- I got Tibbets I got the, a signed plane in my office by Tibbets. Fully no legate. Right. So my point is, right now, this war was not really winding down when you have people that are fanatics. And at that point, the emperor of Japan and all those psychopathic soldiers there who would die rather than surrender, I have a problem with that. And you know right. what? If I was Truman, I don't love those. I would hit one more. Well, we're at it. Hit Tokyo. Or we're at it on the way out. Okay. So, okay. so well, the history... The, the the judgment of history is often a bit harsh, mm-hmm. and and I uh, before Iwo Jima, yeah, there was uh, the, the the poor Marines. They would they would they would go they, they would attack these islands, and the, and the Japanese uh, the way the Japanese fought battles was none. You're not taking any of us prisoner. So before there was long before there was Iwo Jima, there was the, the battle in Saipan, Saipan, Tinian. yes. And so and so so Saipan got it started, and and Saipan is is. You're tossing 10,000 Marines at a beach. There's 30,000 Japanese on the island, and 5,000 of those Marines aren't going to leave. And and none of the 30,000 Japanese are leaving. And 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 so you're right. It, the the Japanese were fanatical. They were horrible. They were barbaric. All true. All true. However, by 1945, let's go to Potsdam. So. Harry Truman is in Potsdam, and Harry Truman knows a lot of stuff. And Harry Truman's a really—he's a—he's a smart guy. He's a decent guy. 
he, he also has just been handed the, the, the most difficult job in the world. Roosevelt suddenly dies, and now he's got to finish up two wars. But in Potsdam, he knows a few things. So Potsdam is when he meets with Stalin. Uh, Potsdam just outside yeah. of Berlin, right? The Japanese, the Japanese are trying to surrender. And Truman knows they're trying to surrender. And Stalin knows they're trying to surrender. Were they really trying to surrender? They were trying to surrender. Why were they trying to surrender? Again, so 1944 is, is when the United States starts to mop, mopping up those islands. And one of the benefits of, of, of the, terrible, uh, the, the, the terrible slaughter and, and the, 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 the horrible battle in Iwo Jima is it, it gives these bombers, it gets all of our bombers much closer to Japan. So in February of 1945, and this is mm-hmm. important, yeah. Curtis LeMay is told the B-29 isn't working. The B-29 is this brand-new intercontinental bomber, and it can fly high in the sky. But they're, st- they're kind of working out the kinks. The engines are going on fire. What, what Curtis LeMay says is he's just come from Europe where the firebombing of cities has started. The United States didn't start doing that at the beginning of the war, but by the end of the war, we're using firebombing techniques mm-hmm. on cities like Dresden. So Curtis LeMay says what we're going to do is we're going to strip the guns out of these planes. They're going to fly low. The Japanese... Air defenses had been virtually eliminated by the, by the spring of 1945 because we've shot down most of their air force, not quite mm-hmm. all of it. And Curtis LeMay, starting, starting in March, he, he firebombs Tokyo. More people died in a shorter period of time in Tokyo what in the first firebombing. What are you B-29s or B-25s? B-29s. So this okay. is the new, the new bomber. And 100,000 people died in Tokyo in a matter of hours in the, in the first With the firebombing. With the firebombing. Good. So the Atomic Bomb Targeting Committee back in Washington, Curtis LeMay starts taking out Japanese cities. Yeah. Curtis LeMay is going to raise to the ground. He's going to, he, he is, he, he is going to firebomb and immolate 70 Japanese cities. And he's told by the Atomic Bomb Targeting Committee, can you leave a few cities for us? Because we might want to use this. Well, how weapon. many did they actually firebomb? Just sixty-eight. Talking. They did sixty-eight. How many people killed? Mi- millions. He killed millions of people in nineteen forty-five. In nineteen forty-five, yes. So Truman knows this is this is this is the history that that uh, I believe is the you way it played out. You don't out. think now? One question. I'm almost you, there. You, go ahead. One question. You don't think there was a nationalism in Japan right up to the end? Until they there was. Till, until those till those horrific bombs went off where they says, Hey, Sayonara now, we don't play no more. No? That, no, that's a good that's a very good question. So let's so Potsdam is July. Stalin wants to get in the war. He has a non aggression pact with the Japanese. He asks Truman in Potsdam, he says, uh, at the end of this at the end of this meeting, I told Roosevelt that as soon as we, we finished up with Hitler, I was going to get in on the war in the Pacific. And, and he's, expecting, he's expecting Truman to allow him at to the end in. of Potsdam and say, hey, 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 here, you can you know. make the Japanese speak uh, Russian. In other words, his eyes were on Japan. Well, yeah, well, and, the, and the, that's important to him. The, 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 Jap, the Japanese are on the, the, the eastern side of the, the Soviet Union. And yeah. they don't, actually... Stalin would remember they lost a war with Japan in 1904, and so he wants in. He wants in. He wants a piece of Japan. He wants a piece of Asia. He wants a piece. What of about the, China? 
Because that's a very important question. Well, I mean, the, what happened by the Japanese decimating China uh, yes. uh, wasn't Russia interested in China at that time? Well, China is a whole other mess. What, what Stalin is just trying to do, right, so that Stalin has lost, you know, he's lost 10 million men on the Eastern Front with the Germans. But what he does is he's sending a million troops. This is... This is July. He's sending a million troops to Sib- across Siberia to get a into million the war troops. to move down Mongolia, to start, to, to begin the process of opening another front. So, and also could be to take over China, too. I mean, well, you're sure. going to have a million troops there. You're in Mongolia. Next stop, China. Right. Well, uh, ch- y- yes, uh, China was a bit of a, a mess because it was in the midst of a civil war with Mao and Chiang Kai-shek. But, mm. but, and, and ultimately, the Chinese become allied with the Chinese communists, become allied with Stalin. But that's another story. Yes. We could interview people, in the, a million people are still in a concentration camp in China. You know that. Oh, yes. Uh, the, 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 the Chinese still hate the Japanese. The Chinese will hate the Japanese for centuries because of the way the Japanese, the Japanese occupation. I, I'm not making any excuses for the Japanese. It's August 6th. We dropped the bomb. Mm-hmm. First one. Truman wants that bomb dropped because he doesn't want Stalin in the war. So he figured he could end it faster by dropping the bomb, which it did. August 6th. And how many? Hold my, on. I didn't have any Almost more. Almost there. I had no more uncles. No. They would have got whacked no, in, no, in Japan on. if we had to oh, take there. Hold on. August 6th, we dropped the bomb. August 7th, Stalin's in the war. August 8th, we dropped the bomb on Nagasaki. August 9th, August 10th, August 11th, August 12th. The Japanese haven't surrendered. August 13th, the Japanese haven't surrendered. In fact, we start firebombing more cities. After the nuclear bombs. If you're in Tokyo and your city has already been firebombed 100 times, if you go to Tokyo today mm-hmm. and you're in, a, and you're in a high, one of those high-rise hotels yeah. and you look out over Tokyo, there's only one building that's left Right. From before World War II. Because we, right. we erased all the rest. It's the diet. They're, they're the legislative building. So if you're in a bomb shelter in Tokyo and you, you heard that the Americans just eliminated Hiroshima, you don't know if it was firebombing or an atomic bomb or whatever, you lost another city, number 69. Mm. And then you lost Nagasaki, uh, number 70. They've already been suing for peace. Now, now Stalin's in the war. And historians have come up with all, the, all of the documents now, what, what the Americans were actually saying, what Truman was thinking, what Stalin was thinking, and what Hirohito was thinking. So the war cabinet is divided. But what gives Hirohito the advantage in this divided war cabinet is now, that, now it's August 13th, August 14th, mm. and the Soviets, a million and a half Soviet troops, and they weren't too great as occupiers either. They're now bearing down on you. And well, they were there all is, barbarians. All of them were barbarians. My point, my point is that war was... The, the Soviets had as much to do with ending that war as the atomic bombs. Really? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I question it. I question the fact that our, with the, I didn't realize that many cities were firebombed, to, to, be, clear, to yeah. be real clear. Yeah. But a firebomb is one thing. When you have a, an atomic bomb that goes off, in a, a firebomb takes time for the fires to, 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 to fry. When an atomic bomb comes, it's a whole another thing. And certainly if I was the one that they dropped it on, I'd say, holy crap, we have to eat some more sushi. We have to make friends because we don't want any more of these, these new bombs that are so horrific. We don't want it to happen. And it wasn't just a firebomb and you still have skeletons of buildings sometimes. That nuclear bomb, if you remember looking at pictures, 
flattened everything out. It was just an a mess. So in reality, that thing was enough to jar you to say, hey, uh, Emperor Hirohita, we better just say, uh, go to the USS Missouri and tell Mr. MacArthur we give up no more. We don't want to play this anymore. I really believe that was certainly something that pushed it maybe for six months. It could have lasted six months more. That's what I'm saying. Right. Historians who studied what what the Japanese it's there's ten to fifteen guys in Japan who are making this decision, right? It's the emperor and ten other guys, Those, and they're in a bunker in Tokyo. Yeah. It's historians who've looked at what their documents, what they were thinking, what, the interviews with them have said that the Soviet entrance into the war, Stalin's entrance to the war, opening up an entire front with another million troops, was maybe as as important, if not more important. Than the atomic bombs. Also, wow. keep in mind. Yes, we were going to. There were plans but, for an but invasion. But I'm, I'm getting your your your, your right. wavelengths right now right. because in reality, America, whether you like us or not, we we have compassion. And the whole idea was we weren't going to rape their woman and we weren't going to string them up and Correct. pull them apart because we're Americans and we have compassion Correct. and we're not that kind of people. Correct. Rather deal with America than the, than the, than the Russians the Ru- or yes. even the Chinese. Yes, the, 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 the Russians, when the Russians finally turned the tide of the war in Eastern Europe, they, they raped virtually every living woman between Poland and Berlin. So the Red Army, as a marauding, pillaging, mm. uncivilized, barbaric horde, absolutely true. And the Japanese knew that. And Well, I could see and, that. And, there, histori- and historians, historians say that, would you rather be occupied by the United States or would you rather be uh, occupied by Stalin? I get and it. They, I get it. I yeah. get, uh, you see, I'm, I'm a person that listens. And then I, I kind of, I can agree with you on it, but it did help a little bit to push their, push their little bones. If they knew we were going to lob a couple more fat boys on them, that, that, that made the decision a lot quicker. I'd rather go with the good old boys, the guys who giving us lucky strikes and camels, the American GIs that don't rape our wives and kill our daughters and pull us apart. I'd rather go, I'd rather be captured by America than China or Russia, right, Carlo? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, All right, so you, now you, I... You, you, make, you make a... a all due respect to your to your uncles is that war the war in the pacific was won by the marines Mm -hmm. beach by beach island by island so that war was decided by those that that work done by by thousands upon thousands of marines the most horrific Mm -hmm. battles which are uh, would be almost indescribable for their for their violence so that was won by them and and your and you're you're right. The other thing that happens, the last thing I will say, is he's a guy that's very interesting to me. Is James Forrestal, the first Secretary of Defense. Mm-hmm. He says to Truman, so, "You know, you're talking about American decency." Truman had more fat boys. He was he was he could have dropped a couple of more bombs, but when he when he he got the early reports on the death toll, knowing at, at this point this is indiscriminate, knowing you're killing. You're not just killing soldiers. You're killing everybody. You're killing men, women, and children. Truman said no more. Well, you know, that's a whole other side. He said no more. When you, when, you, when you had the test in the Pacific with the nuclear bomb there, and when you were testing, testing is one thing, uh, but actuality to see the dissemination and realize, wow, we didn't realize what we had. But once we lobbed the two of them, we realized that 
this is something that maybe we, we don't want to open up Pandora's box because this become and that became the Cold War, became the influx yeah. of the development of the nuclear plans with Russia, with uh, China. I mean, everybody's got nuclear bombs, but we know once you push that button, well, well bets are off because this this could be destructive. Yeah, so that's that's very important too. If we talk about the immediate post-war period. And how this whole policy of containment, mutually assured destruction, how that kind of fed into the paranoia and building up this military industrial complex. Well, I think it'd be with the Truman Doctrine. Yeah. You know, as far as with the Soviet Union. So, okay, we finished off Japan, Missouri there, so sorry and all that. And they took their transistor radios. Oh, no, they didn't have them yet. And they went back home. Okay, let's go to the next (laughs) level. Let's go to the 1950s, because we know in the 1950s we had a thing called Korea. I mean, did you touch upon that in the book? Uh, uh, What's interesting to me about – I didn't talk a lot about Korea, although – Pretty important. It is. Well, it is. It is. Here's here here's what interested me about Korea. Mm-hmm. So between 1945 and we, you talk about your buddy Ronald Reagan. Okay, mm-hmm. um, w- the Cold War ends because of the rapport that Reagan establishes with Gorbachev. Uh, we, we can we can get you're, to told, that. you're fast forwarding. Now. Yes, but let's go back to 1945. Yeah. Between 1945 and 1955, Stalin and Truman never meet. There is no meeting. Well, uh, Truman was out by then. Eisenhower was coming uh, in. Right. Eisenhower's in by 53. But here's my point. Between 1945 and 1955, there's no meeting between the head of state, because Stalin is also dead by 53. Yeah. But, and he's replaced and ultimately succeeded by, Gorb, uh, by Khrushchev. There's no meeting between the two heads of state of what, what become the two nuclear powers. Uh, what, what, Reagan, what Reagan does and, and helps to bring the Cold War to an end relatively quickly is – he has multiple meetings with Gorbachev, and he starts writing letters to Gorbachev. But going back to Korea, is Kim, Kim the grandfather, mm. uh, wants to invade the South, and the United States had withdrawn its troops, had a had a very small force there at the time of the Korean War in nineteen. Now, what year we're talking about? This is nineteen fifty. Nineteen fifty is is Stalin didn't think in nineteen fifty Truman gave a shit about what happened in Korea because we had. We had withdrawn our troops. We had 100,000 troops in Japan. What Stalin also thought was, if you're going to leave 100,000 troops in Japan, if that's going to belong to you, why don't I get the whole Korean Peninsula? Why did, so Stalin thought right, of that. Right, that should have been not our business. <laughs> but wouldn't it have been great if Stalin said, if Stalin understood that if, 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 the, United, if, if the North Koreans attacked, the United States was going to show up and fight that war? Uh, because he gave permission for Kim to do that, and to take over the whole peninsula, and, and there w- it was. Well, again, I mean it, that's a big what if. Again, because a lot of people are listening and a lot of people don't understand exactly. You know what? Why? Why are is our nose in the Korean Peninsula the same? Is why was our nose in the? I've lost a lot of my friends and relatives in Vietnam. The same crisis there. Look at what are we? Why are we putting our nose? Why are we going to lose fifty five thousand Americans, hundreds of thousands maimed in Vietnam? Same as same as Korea. My opinion. We should have stayed the hell out of Korea, and we should have stayed the hell out of Vietnam. And you know what? They want to take them over. As long as you don't mess with us, 
Go do 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 whatever you want to do. I really don't care. So I'm I'm not a real hawk. I'm a guy that says, look, we protect our own. I don't worry about the peninsula of Korea nor Vietnam. That's the domino theory, which is what you're talking about with the Truman Doctrine. The Truman Doctrine is essentially a domino theory is there's a there's a, a guerrilla war, the, the, there's a communist guerrilla war in Greece, and the thinking, the thinking of Truman and others is if, if Greece goes, then Italy goes, and if Italy goes, then France goes, et cetera, et cetera. They take the whole co- the right. world. And, and so with Vietnam, it's if Vietnam goes, then it's Cambodia and Laos, and then it's New Zealand and Australia. Well, then that's something different. But the domino theory was was wrong. There, That wasn't how it was going to work. And what, what, what is Vietnam today? Well, there are... They're a semi-repressive market economy. Point in case. Yes. So we didn't have to lose 60000 It would have became that no. anyway. Correct. And Ho, Ho Chi Minh, yeah. he was a nationalist. Yeah. We, t- we talk about today nationalism and mm-hmm. religious fanaticism, but Ho Chi Minh was a nationalist. He was interested in kicking out the French. That's it. So he did kick out the French in 1954, yeah. and the French told us, Stay away. Yeah, because you're not going to win this. Same as, yeah, same as, well, we're talking about Vietnam. And it's the similar circumstances that are going on. And again, we find ourselves in a jackpot right now in the Middle East. Again, with Iran. And we're going to go into that a little bit, too. But I just want to keep everything on a chronological order. So then uh, Korea occurs. We put our nose in there. And we lose another bunch of guys. We do. We lose 50,000, 60,000 in Korea. Yes, horrible (laughs) fighting, three years, and it ends in a stalemate. Right. Right. 38th parallel, is that the Exactly, term? yeah. So the North invades, and then, and then we push them back, and, and then the Chinese get in the war, yep. um, which is another, another story. But the war ends up in a stalemate, and millions of people die, including mm-hmm. tens of thousands of American soldiers. Right. You know, okay, so now we're, we're, up, to, we're, in, uh, we're up to 1954-ish like that. Yep, yep. At that point, who's our president? Now, now, Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower, a famous general who was a World War II hero, yep. the supreme commander of all Allied troops, yep. my man Dwight. Yep. And I remember him as a kid, and Dwight is right, and that's the way it was. Then all of a sudden, what happens with this, uh, with this guy, John Foster Dulles? So... Because we're clubs. going into the you Middle East. Go, we're going into the Middle East right, now. I grew up in Queens. Okay. Yeah. So the Dulles brothers were part of the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant establishment. And, and so... Well, explain who they are, please. Uh, all right. So John Foster Dulles is, sec- is Eisenhower's Secretary of State. Okay. And importantly, his brother, Alan... Is the is the head of the CIA, and the, and the two of these guys? Wow, power, huh? A lot of power, and I don't think these guys served Eisenhower very well. The two of these guys begin our 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 habit of of covert ops and regime change and putting our noses where we don't belong. 1953, Iran. So why are the Iranians still pissed off at us? Well, 1953, uh, we we depose a democratically elected leader, Mossadegh. And we put the Shah back on the throne. The Shah ran the most corrupt son of a bitch in the world. Correct. Robbing everybody. Go ahead. And, and we helped the Shah with the Savak, his secret police. So Killing people that are repressive yeah. to whatever they want to do, like what's going on right now. Correct. So, but the Iranians are still not happy with us about that. And then, and then, we, then the we, Iranian people are Persians on the whole, are very, very, they're yes. like Italians. Yes. They're fine people. Yes. But now you've got this influx of these, blah, 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 
psychopathic uh, Muslim uh, fanatic a- assholes, and that's what destroys the good people of the Persian company of a country of Iran, right? Late 1970s, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter wants to cause trouble in the Soviet Union, and this is something you referenced, Carlo. Uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski and Carter begin to... The CIA sticks its nose into all of the Stans, all of those Islamic republics which are part of... Pakistan, Kazakhstan, Pakistan, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, right, Afghanistan, right, so... Stand, stand, stand by me. Go ahead. But these are, these are the, this is the Muslim underbelly of the Soviet Union. Yeah, hold on, we, we're missing one thing. You yeah, jumped yeah, yeah, to 57. Yeah. I'm sorry. You got to bring Carlo up because he wasn't there and you weren't born yet. We had a little bit of an influxitation with this thing called the uh, Suez Canal. Suez Canal, yeah. Well, I mean, it was an important fact. And at the same time, the, uh, my buddies from the uh, stand-up hip, hip away were taking out my Indian buddies. So, I mean, these were all things happening at that time, right? Yes, and... And here is where, like, the, for me, because I wasn't alive. You think that I'm just a dumb face, right? I, don't, I do not. I'm engaging. And now I am pressing no, you with no, my knowledge? No. Uh, I will, you know more about the Suez Canal mess than I do, which I, again, I was writing a book on the entire Cold War, and I will admit there's some things. You missed a couple of them there, because so, that was a very important factor. Yeah, but it's 40 years. Okay. But we, wasn't that the British and the French? Mm. We. Okay, let's go off the Suez being in. You're not an expert on that. I'm not. not okay, absolutely not. So let's go to where you are. So now we we help the Shah of Iran take control. 1953. 53. Back. And why do we do that? Mm-hmm. Why does John, John Foster Dulles... That shit that you Dulles put in the car. So, Did they own any oil companies, these two uh, so, Fugazi brothers? Yeah, so they're part of Sullivan and Cromwell. Oh, that's a law firm. Uh, correct. So they are... Uh, John Foster Dulles was running Sullivan and Cromwell. So Sullivan and Cromwell is this very interesting Fine law firm. Y- yes, but what? Why you hire Sullivan and Cromwell is because you're Chase Manhattan, or you're one of several large petroleum companies like Mobil, and yeah. you hire Sullivan and Cromwell to help you mess around in the world to make sure that your foreign your foreign ownership position isn't damaged. So that's what that's what's. Sullivan, Sullivan and Cromwell is sort of a, a, a law version of the CIA. That's kind of. That's what Sullivan well, and Cromwell is. Well, I put it is. in a different way. It's like the Gambino family. Kind of. Yeah. Yes. So, so the British— Not the Genovese well, family. The whole Gambino. Iran thing is—so the, right, the British own the oil. The British have none of their own oil. <laughs> so, so Iran is their gas station. Mm-hmm. So Mossadegh, in, 19, in early 1950s, he says, no, no, no. No, it's our oil. You don't get to own all of our oil. The British are upset with this. And, and after we go in, what John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles, who, who, who know how to do these things as lawyers for Sullivan and Cromwell, but now they're in government, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, half of the Iranian oil is owned by the, the, five, the five major American petroleum co- mm-hmm. companies, five major oil companies. So mm-hmm. why did we go into Iran? Oil. 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 What about Guatemala? That's in the United Fruit uh, Company. That's United another. Fruit. The, uh, the people that made all the bananas. So, so Dwight is right. 1953. Oh, that's great. That Iran thing, is, that happened. It's plausible deniability. When John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles, who have stock, who are on the board of the directors of United Fruit, Oof. the banana king of Central America, uh, and the Guatemalan president is, is trying to rearrange 
the, the contract that Sullivan Cromwell has written, giving United Fruit effective ownership all of Guatemala, when that democratically elected leader starts to push back, what do we do? We invade. We, well, we invade. We, we do another CIA covert op, and we get rid of Same our, as Nicaragua with the Sandinistas. Yes, Jacobo Arben. So we get rid of him, too. Yeah. But who's there? Who's there in 1954 finishing up a motorcycle trip in Guatemala, in Guatemala City? Che. Oh. Che Guevara. Che Guevara is watching U.S. CIA planes bomb we'll civilian get, We'll outfits. get close to Cuba. Well, not yet, but come on. But, but che, che is radicalized seeing the United States. The American uh, people that are taking over our land. The imperialist America. Right. Take our bananas. This is our bananas. This is the beginning mm-hmm. of Che Guevara and another psychopath. Fidel Castro. Yes. Okay, so yeah. let's let's hold on now. Yeah. We're because we're, we're doing it chronological. So now, yeah. 1955, important year. When uh, does Eisenhower? When Yankees does Eisenhower go to? When does Eisenhower uh, do what? When is he? When is he finished being the president? Oh, not, not till 1960. 1960. Right? Yeah, that was Kennedy. Be, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, came yeah. In. yeah. Okay, so let's get that that portion now. Now we've. The late fifties, we've had we developed the two sides of Berlin that we were just talking about, right? Berlin and split. we have East East Germany and West Germany. Right. We have our, our communist East Germany and our right. West Germany, and they actually divide this beautiful city of Berlin in half. Right. So I mean, that's going on right now because yep. we can't yep. lose our focus yep. on that because the European thing is going. Also, at, during that time, my friends from uh, uh, not Turkey, my friends from. Uh, what is Margot? They're uh, Hungarian. Yeah. So there's the yeah, yeah, Hungarian, yeah. the Eastern Bloc. The Russians now is sniffing their nose into Hungary, Czechoslovakia, all these Eastern Bloc countries, and they're putting their frigging nose. So weren't we worrying about that during the Cold War? All right. So let, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about what we thought the Soviet Union yeah. was and what you thought the Soviet Union was in the fifties and why you're so scared. Is is what. The Soviet Union is a, you want to talk about gangsters, it's a gangster operation run out of the Kremlin by, by the nomenclatura, the guys that, that, are, that, are, that are all being Similar treated Similar to our Obama administration. Yeah, we, not, uh, too different what like Put- that, yes. not too different what Putin's running. It's a kleptocracy, right? <laughs> but keep in mind what the Kremlin was trying to do, and they were having a really hard time doing it, is, is the Kremlin is trying, to, is trying to manage a country the size of Asia with yeah. 100 different nationalities and ethnic groups, and it was always in a state of rebellion. So the Warsaw Pact countries that you're yeah. talking about, the only countries that were ever invaded by the Warsaw Pact countries were their own countries. The only countries they ever invaded were their own countries. So, so in 1953, the East Germans try to revolt, and they don't succeed. In 56, uh, the Hungarians revolt and 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 the, and the tanks and show those up. scumbags. And I was in Budapest. Yes, a lot of people don't know the Hungarians were more brutal on the Hungarians than even the Russians. And they used to have torture chambers when they thought someone was an informant. And I went into these torture chambers, most horrific shit you ever saw. And people don't realize that they were doing this to their own people. These son of a bitches. In 1968 in Czechoslovakia, the tanks roll again. So perpetually. Perpetually, the Soviet Union is trying to hold together a whole bunch of people who don't want to have anything to do with them. My point is, they had enough trouble trying to keep their shit together, uh, and, and 
didn't have a lot of time to think about what was going yeah, on. Yeah, but in they were Europe making deal, a lot of the people, like in Hungary, Horrible. Czechoslovakia, were making deals with the Soviet Union at that time, sure. Russia. Yes, and they were they were they were running over there, giving up things when people wanted to be nationalists and want to get rid of Russia out of Czechoslovakia and Hungary. They were ratting them out, and then they were they were getting them, and they would beat it out of them and all that. And they had this underground. Am I correct? What I'm saying? Yes. Well. well yeah, there is, and and there is perpetually an underground. But what what a poli- what the police state was able to do, at least temporarily, was effectively able to maintain control with total surveillance, like the East Germans. And this is what Castro does. The East Germans had something called the the block surveillance system. So what would happen is. You don't know if your husband or your wife or your uncle or the kid down the street is going to rat you out. So if you're in East Germany, you never you never talk on the phone, mm-hmm. and and you're not you even trust sure you, nobody, you know, not, right? So that so they were able to create that 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 sort of repression, which was successful, but was it always going to be successful? And how long was that going to last? But but because those societies were innately repressive. There was there was always a a constant revolt going on, mm-hmm. and what's also happening is this gets into Berlin is millions of people are fleeing Eastern Europe and they're fleeing East Germany. The reason why the Berlin Wall is put up in 1961 because they were running across. Well, yeah. they had lost all their doctors, they had lost their engineers. They 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 were all running. They put the wall up because they had lost. Wasn't there a famous statement people. by someone they were talking about? Well, if you don't like it, why don't you build a wall? Somebody. Some politician said that American politician at that time. Well, we're talking about Kennedy going to Berlin and saying, "I am a we are, ich bin ein Berliner." Are we talking about that that moment at well, the wall? Well, well, what does that mean in English? Ich bin ein. We, I am a Berliner. We, I, I am you. We are yeah. with you. We're all with you. Yeah. Kennedy goes and makes that. That's arguably the. The most famous speech okay. of the Cold War. I want to just, you know, like I said, we have time frames and all that. So I want to just focus on things in your book. More, very important. Now we're talking about we're we're rustling into 1957, where I was hiding under my desk yep. in my school. Yep. We'd have the air raid. We were scared shit uh, that we were going to get bombed, and and we had the black and white TV on there. Yep. And at that same time, we had uh, the mob was flourishing. We had a an FBI director that dressed up in woman's panties, my friend Jay, Jay Hoover, yep. right? Yep. And what was, you know, what what in your book you talk about Jay Hoover, how powerful was he really? Because I, you know, I know from my own education, I know he had dossiers and everything, even on the great Martin Luther King to, to put a little put a little water on the fire. He wasn't the most reputable husband in the world either. And Hoover had all this information on him and many others, including President Kennedy. Am I correct? You are correct. So what what the FBI what the FBI is doing and you know George Orwell writes the book nineteen eighty four about about surveillance. Yeah but that well, yeah that's what I want to get. No, but yeah but uh, but Jager Hoover uh, you know if you when you work for the FBI, they, they taught you how to break and enter. I mean, they, they had schools for this, for, yeah. for placing bugs. There were hotels in the United States, which, which the FBI would say, you know, when they would pre-bug rooms. They'd have rooms already bugged in, in, in many of the nicest hotels, and they would work with hotels. So if somebody showed up, they got yeah. sent to the room. And, but and these would be not uh, – these would be illegally wiretaps? What were, the, what were the grounds of them getting the wiretaps? Well, he, well 
Yes. He didn't need to go to a judge. He just did it. He just did it. Right. No, it's all not legal. Not like our corrupt FBI agents that went and got a FISA warrant that had no credibility to it, where they could uh, tap uh, Carter Page, who we've had on the show here. And that was a total that's supposed to have some control over it. And we saw, whether you like Trump or not, I mean, it's coming out now that they didn't have the evidence to get the damn warrant. And in, and in reality, I was a detective. You go before a judge, you lie to a judge, you're committing a felony. The, the FBI under Hoover did nothing about judges. <laughs> well, either they owned all the judges, but Jagger Hoover d- didn't worry about I mean, he got caught every once in a while, but he didn't he didn't care every once in a while. There was a there was a famous spy, Judith Copeland. Uh, that ultimately, the case got thrown out at appeal because of of illegal wiretaps. But whatever, what what was important to Hoover what was most important to Hoover. So why is he in power? Right. He's in power from like the, the, the mid 1920s until he dies 72, 73 in Nixon's at the end of Nixon's first term, and second term. So he's That's in a power. Long he's, time, he's in power. Carlo. And so how do you stay in power? Have dirt on everybody. <laughs> no, this is really how you stay in power. So so you're you're Harry Truman and you Harry Truman didn't like Jagger Hoover, but it's 1948 and you're in a tough election and and something comes into the. Comes, comes into the Oval Office, and it's a dossier on Tom Dewey. <laughs> and the dossier says, maybe Tom Dewey's marriage isn't so good. And then it's 1952, or it's 1956, he, or it's he, he was feeding his enemies with information that made them successful. No, he was feeding presidents opposition research to keep him in power. Gotcha. And there, uh, it's time for re-election. Well, hey, there's an FBI delivery, and look at this. This is exactly what you want to know about your opponent. So... What what Hoover what Hoover was pretty remarkable was, guy Hoover yes my friend Leonardo DiCaprio played him in the movie yeah. did you see that movie uh, he did he did a really he did a really good was that a Scorsese film too uh, no 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 no, no. That was, maybe that was Clint Eastwood yeah that's right but uh, a, a remarkable guy but a strange guy who's who had after his mom died had one intimate relationship in his life Clyde <laughs> Tolson who he 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 shared every meal with. Um, he was uh, he was homosexual, uh, or was he a like my friend Ed Koch, God rest his soul. I think he was asexual. I don't think may, he, maybe. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, somebody. Some of them are asexual. No, you right. know, and they have a friend like you know, and they, that their best friend, and it would uh, people would make assumptions. I mean, was there any real clear fact no. that he was taking it up the uh, caboodle? No, no, no. no. There, no, there, there isn't. Uh, so you're saying. Jay Hoover, we have no clear evidence that he took it up the caboodle by the other guy. What I I think is interesting about Jay Hoover is he is he is ostensibly this this guy the the Boy Scouts and and conservative anti communism. He's a straight white Christian America. This this thing that that he's get he's, it right, get it done. But no, that's the that's kind of the propaganda. Yeah. But the truth about his life is that he has an unconventional relationship. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't have a wife. Is the, the person he's most devoted to is, an, is another man for most of his life. There's nothing wrong, again, there's nothing no, 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 wrong no. with it. It's just, 
It's just that that was the so truth. So what are you saying? Are you That's saying he was truth. gay or not? No, I'm just Come saying, on, you're like you're fumbling a little no, bit. No, it's like I don't care about political correctness. Either no, he was or he wasn't. No, it doesn't it's like make Roy Cohen. No, it's like Roy Cohen. It's it's Well, I knew Roy Cohen too. Yeah, I but know it's, everybody. But it's the hip- I didn't know Hoover. That was one I no, didn't know. I, I I think I why do why do people do why do people become awful, terrible, crazy well, things? Even, yeah, but even even women. You know, they become BBFs, best friends and all that. And they become, you know, they get into the lesbianics. Nothing wrong with no, that. No, Nothing wrong with that. And I can see it. When you're with somebody so long and you have a relationship, professional, things can happen. So what I'm trying to say, even if he did have a homosexual relationship with this guy, I really don't care. I don't care. No one cares. Okay. But no, no one cares. But the point is... You were like a little, you were no. slow on the draw on that. I mean, like you didn't no, want no. to come out. He's dead, all right? You don't have to worry about this. I, I don't know if he's gay or not. Well, maybe he was trisexual. Maybe he tried every no, he freaking been. thing. Uh, what, what I can say is the love of his life was a man. What I can say. Well, the love of my life was my brother who died. Okay. He was the love of my life. I didn't have sex with my brother, but okay. he was the love of my life. Well, Clyde Tolson wasn't Hoover's brother. Well, maybe he that didn't might... have sex with Clyde Tolson. Maybe it was his best BBF. But if, if Jager Hoover was having having meals every day with his brother, people wouldn't also assume that he was having an intimate relationship, because okay. that would be incestuous. Okay, so we'll get off that, Carlo, because we have not really got to the bottom. <laughs> With Brian's deep digging, he still doesn't have pictures. So there's no pictures. facts. to. And if he was, Carlo, who cares? Who cares? I thought he was, I, I, I think he was a great patriotic American. He's a horrible American. Uh, like he's stole. He stole? He stole. He, he, he stole. He had FBI, FBI guys wrote his book, and he took the money. Masters of Deceit was his book, but so the FBI guys write it. The book is a huge bestseller. He was a and 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 he kept all the money. He created a charity. You want to write a book for me, and I'll put my name on it. You, I don't care. I'll steal it. You, I'd, I'd be happy to write your book. <laughs> your book would be unbelievable. <laughs> my books. I've written. I've been involved with three books. But okay, let's let's keep focused because yeah. we're good. I like to say J. Yeah. Hoover because a lot of people never realized, you know, what, oh, where, and I'm glad right. we clarified that. Okay, yeah. so now let's go back to 1960. 1960, 61. Now you got Trey, Che Guevara came out of the friggin' jungles. He met with the other jerk off Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro. Uh-huh. And Who now wasn't we was a communist at first. He was another nationalist that just that wanted. became communist. And that's what Bill de Blasio and his wife go went down with the Sandinistas to Nicaragua. He went to he went to Havana. He wants to be down. I told him I'd give him two yeah. first class tickets. Get the frig out of the city. But let's stay focused. Okay. Now I remember this distinctly. You only three years old. You don't remember. This was scary. We had black and white TV, and I'll never forget the 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 missiles they were showing. The they were uh, not, they were Nike, uh, uh, Nuke, uh, Nuke. No, no, they were. What was the name of those missiles? Well, the Nike, the Nike missiles. Nike the missiles. Min- I'm Min- thinking Min- about missiles. sneakers. That's why right. they named them Nike because right. they were missiles. Yeah. So now. They have the Russian ships. Now we have our U-2 pilots, and they're taking pictures. They've seen these tubular things that are rockets, and they're bringing them in with freighters. Now, all of a sudden, Kennedy has to make a move, and Kennedy blockades Cuba. Come on. So, Do you what, talk about this in the book? Oh, yeah. So what people don't understand, and when, yeah, I'm three, and, and you're a little older, but you're how—, how you could remember the, the, the fear and the, that 13-day yeah. that that period, as they call it. The thing is, what 
what both sides didn't know was all the all the stuff that was going on, which is which is why once you reach once you once nuclear weapons become part of your arsenal, yeah, uh, and 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 why it becomes a billion times worse and scarier. So during the Cuban Missile Crisis, what we did not know is the Soviets, in addition to those missiles that the U-2 was finding with those pictures, is they had a 100, 100 tactical nuclear weapons, which they were going to use if there was a U.S. invasion. 100, there was 100, 100 tactical nuclear weapons. Wow. Small, you know, bazooka on, kind on, of stuff. And also on, right. on trucks that were mobile, where if you had to hit them, you know, they, yes. they're mobile. Go ahead. Yeah, so we, we thought they had the... the we, we caught them before they put in their long-range missiles. But they had, by the time, before the United States had caught them, they had put 20 to 30 of those longer-range, they were intermediate-range missiles that could hit Dallas, could hit New York. But in addition, there were 100 technical nuclear warheads. There was also, we were also experimenting, and the Soviets were doing this too, is we were, we were sending nuclear weapons into space and blowing them up for something called the Christophilus effect. Because Never we, heard of this. Now, this is interesting. I saw it in the excerpt yeah, of your book. Yeah. So let's, let's go into that. So, yeah. so during the Cuban Missile Crisis, we're sending these nuclear warheads up. And the idea of the Christophilus effect is that the thought was it would send out a pulse. So it, it, for a brief period of time, it would create kind of this electromagnetic shield that could repel any incoming missiles. It later became sort of the Star Wars idea. But so we're sending, and the Soviets were doing this too. They were, these were just experiments, sending nuclear warheads into space. Curtis LeMay is also, he hasn't, he's sending the, now they're B-52s, he's sending them past the turnaround points because he really wants an invasion. He's sending them past the turnaround points. During know, the crisis. The, during the crisis, he's doing this. And he's also, he's also launched at least one and maybe more practice missile tests off the Pacific. And and then finally, you have this guy, this submarine, Trident. in the middle of all this. No, this is a Soviet submarine. So four of the Soviet submarines that were in the area, each of them had a missile with a nuclear warhead on board. And so at the height of this crisis, the blockade has happened. The submarines have lost contact How many with Moscow. So- Soviet submarines? There are four of them. But one of them is ready to send a nuclear missile at a U.S. aircraft carrier and its surrounding ships. The, the task force, good. Yes. And because they, uh, the, the submarine has been underwater too long, they can't surface, everybody's hot. No it's, communication. It's no communication. The captain wants, the captain sees the U.S. aircraft carrier. He says, we are, you know, arm the warhead, arm the missile. But because he doesn't have direct contact with Moscow, he has to get the permission, yes, Three people have to consent. So it's the captain says yes. There's another officer who says yes. And this guy, Vasily Arkhipov, says no. Don't he was do on it. the submarine. He was on the submarine. So he stopped that nuclear He missile. stopped that nuclear warhead from, from possibly destroying half the U.S. fleet, which would have probably instigated World War III. Wow. We came that close. Yes. Two guys with four? No, two guys were for, and one guy was against. And he yes, stopped two to that. one. Right. And what was his name again? Vasily Arkhipov. Wow, that's chilling, huh, Carlo? Yes. That's really, People really never, close. That, that's really insightful shit. That's really insightful stuff. Now, all of a sudden. But, you th- but you, how many times do you think during the Cold War were there people like, and there, there are other examples. On the edge like that. People, pe- people in the 
middle management, so to speak, making those kinds of decisions. Wow. How many times did that happen? I wasn't the only imagine time. Imagine if you have a mentally defuncation guy in there. Right. Holy shit, you know? Yeah. What was this thing with the CIMK Ultra program? What was that all about? So we thought, we thought that the Russians had figured out mind control. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So, <laughs> although... This is before LSD. No, this is... LSD has been developed in a Swiss lab in the 1940s. Oh. Did you ever take LSD, Carlo? No comment. Okay, that means he did. Go ahead. So I've taken LSD. Well, I have never. Oh, excuse me, Sunshine. Is that that similar? Sunshine, 1969, Rockaway, Playland, and my ex-wife gave me a thing that looked like a saccharin tablet. So she said, just take a little bite of it, right? So I took a little bite. I said, yeah, you got beat. I popped the whole thing. I was seeing ghosts flying around and shit. So I guess I took LSD, too. I'm honest about the fucking... I got home. I saw saw things floating around my room and shit, and I was like flipped out. But go ahead. So the CIA spends most of the 50s giving LSD to... Thinking that LSD could be the secret to mind control. Hold on a second. What? My ex-wife gave me LSD. That's maybe why we didn't last. Go ahead. Keep going. But... (laughs) It, I, I, hold that hold that thought about the hallucinations. So the CIA thinks that they can use LSD for interrogations. So you give somebody LSD, they tell you everything, yeah. and they, they probably even – and they, what the hope is is that they're going to give LSD to Soviet spies and, and enemy enemies, yeah. and they'll tell you everything, yeah. and then they won't remember any of it. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea of LSD. So the CIA experiments with LSD throughout the 50s. Uh, veterans hospitals, uh, mental clinics, homeless people, uh, at jails. one point, jails. So, yeah, and Harvard and, and so they're dosing, they're giving people LSD for 70 days. Uh, universities across America, they're giving... They're... Two of the notable subjects, Ted Kaczynski and Whitey Bulger. They actually were inflicting them with LSD. Yep. Holy shit. Well, Whitey Bulger was pretty sharp. He lasted quite a while. I don't know about Whitey Bulger getting LSD. Yep, in, in, yeah. in Atlanta uh, federal prison, they gave it to him to get time oh, off his sentence. Oh, in jail, they were, he was they like said, a test well, bunny. If you, if you do this, we'll give you time off your sentence. Wow. Right. So Allen Ginsberg becomes the, the sort of an LSD guru. The first time mm. he gets LSD is through a CIA-run university program. Mm. Anyway, the point is... You saw Marty Scorsese's movie. I, I, did you I, see, I, no, did you I, see that one with Ginsberg in there? Uh, what was that about Bob Dylan? He made which, the Bob Dylan. Oh, oh, the Bob oh Dylan. that was it. A, it was based. The one Scorsese I didn't see. But listen to me. Roll uh, Thunder Review. Roll Thunder. But let me tell you what it's he on did. Netflix. He made he made it all up. He made it all up. He had characters that were made up. This is Scorsese at his best. He actually had characters that were made up in there that never happened. But when Scorsese does something, he's such a friggin' artist. It all works. But go ahead. God. You were great. By the way, you're great in The Irishman. Well, thank you. you, thank you had, it's a terrific movie. Right, we got, you're so good. We got some you're time. So good, but, but no, the, so the, but the thing about LSD, what, so they do it for 10 years. The, it, what does it do? What, what does LSD do? It, it fucks you up. Right, exactly. <laughs> it fucks you up. Okay, so let's get now, because we're our time element here, let's get to the end of the Cold War. Yes. So we all know what was going on during the Cold War there. Poor Kennedy gets whacked. And then all of it, do you think that uh, that 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 uh, Hoover knew about Kenny getting whack, or that he knew what happened? Do you really no. feel no, no, no? Where do you think it came from? You know what? I, I, what I think is interesting about the Kennedy assassination is the FBI knew about Oswald, the CIA knew about Oswald, 
They never put the things together. The same as these terrorists in New York City. They know about the flight train. Duh. They, and they never put that together. Okay. They, so, they, they, is, they, Jager Hoover was embarrassed. He was embarrassed because. Yeah, he didn't know. Yeah. Well, the, they didn't tell the Secret Service. Wow. Kennedy's driving around in the car without a top. The mm. CIA knew. The FBI knew about Oswald. Oswald was. was yeah, sh- but they, they never figured this, this guy would be capable of doing something like that. You know, we uh, did look at the Irishman. I'm surprised Frank Sheehan didn't say he whacked Kennedy too well. He said he whacked everybody. Yeah. Okay, so now the guy, when you say Bo, and I've met every president except for Obama and every pre- in my lifetime, the guy who you would love to meet, you know who that is? Ronald Reagan. No, I did meet him. I, mean, oh, I okay. sat no, with no. him in the Oval Office. Google me. Bo Dino, Ronald Reagan. I sit with him in the Oval Office. You can watch me in action. But you're asking me the guy that I want to meet. No, me. Yes. Bo Dino, who do you want to meet? Oh. Comes into play in your book. Hmm. Gorbachev. He's dead. Come on. <laughs> Gorbachev's still alive. No. Who do you want to meet? Putin. Oh, you want to meet Putin? Oh, yeah. Of course. I oh. like Putin. You know why? Why I like Putin? This was a guy, and a lot of people don't know, he was involved with Berlin there. He was a colonel of some shit. He's he, Germany. Well, 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 he was a... He was a KGB he, officer. KGB. Yeah. But, but you know what he did? And I got to give the guy... And I, if he was sitting with me, we'd have vodkas, we'd drink. He brought back Russia when it was in the abyss, financially, economically. He brought a nationalism back there to Russia that he has to be commended. Whether you like him or you like Russia or not, he brought nationalism back to Russia with the help of a lot of his old gods there. They had to pay the piper. Putin's probably worth 250 billion bucks because they all have to come. When, when, what do they do with organized crime, Carlos? You've got to give him an envelope. A tribute. Tribute. Yeah. So all those old gods have to give tribute. to. He's called Mr. 10%. He's, well, he's, well, Mr., he's Mr. 10%. You've got to give him a credit. I mean, look at He's out the of all the people, of all the people in the world that you say, Bo, who would you want to meet? Vladimir Putin, I want to meet. And I told my Russian friends, I'll take a trip to Moscow. I've never been there. I want to meet this dude, and I want to say him right out as we drink vodka together. He's the man. When I when I wrote a book, One Tough Cop, it was sent over to Russia. And a lot of the, they ran it on the Russian TV, the video and all that. Mike the Russian had some connections over there. And that's one of the things, one of the people, I, out of anybody, anybody, I know Buffett, I know uh, all these guys. Radarhead was up in Rails with me, Bill Gates. Duh, I never met the other schmuck from uh, Amazon. Eh, he doesn't impress me. Putin I'd like to meet before anybody. Is that strange? Uh, you're a law and order guy. He, yeah. he doesn't believe in the rule of law. You care about the law. I care about the law, you but I, I also... He's a crook. He's well, a crook. well call, I mean, you, you, you spend, he's a crook, and so are a lot of these CEOs yeah, running fine. these freaking businesses. I, you're just they're all, and they're all crooks, including all these banks that were Look, bailed out that they should have had the same thing. If I have problems with business, I, I, there ain't nobody bailing Bo Deedle out. You I know what? And all of a sudden, we bailed them out. They're crooks. They are crooks. They don't use a gun. They don't use a mask. They are crooks. Come on, let's be real about it. Yeah. I'm talking about the nationalism and strength of Russia. Now, because of Putin bringing them back. When the other guy, Spothead, was there, Gorbachev, what's his name? Spothead, the guy with the spot on him? What was Gorbachev. It? Gorbachev. The, the country was going to the toilet, but this guy did bring him back. No? You got to give credit to credit. But, you know, even with organized crime, you got to give credit to credit. 
Guys who brought organized crime families up during the 50s and all that, I give them credit. They did some good things. They whacked a few people, but they had a nice organization, a lot of funding and money. So there's crime, and then there's crime. You know what I mean? Come on, let's be real. I'm 69 years old. I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. But the reality is, what's the difference in criminality from some of these CEOs that are stealing and robbing against a guy with a gun that goes into a bank and run? What's the difference, you tell me? Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin thinks that the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century was the end of the Soviet Union. Yeah, so... He's, he's big on trying to build up the Bolshevik Imperium. But what does that mean? So you talked about... You think he would give up all his money for that? No, hold on. No. no you'd, uh, he's a capitalist. He loves cash. He loves broads. He likes, he likes vodka. He enjoys life. Tell, That's number one yeah, in his uh, life. You tell that to the people in Ukraine. There, there, there's, a, there's a hot war going on in Ukraine, and, and that's... that's Vladimir Putin would love to collect Ukraine. Think, he would love to collect you think if, Adela, if You think if... Vladimir Putin, Putin wanted to go and take Ukraine, especially under Obama. You think that he wouldn't do it? I don't believe so. I think people, as you get older, even me, I used to like to punch out guys. I don't do that anymore. Kinder and gentler as you get older. And Putin's about my age. You get kind of softer and milder and mellower. You don't think Putin is kind of mellowing out? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I... I as you get older, you know, mellow out. I, I, I think for the I think for the average guy in in Russia, I I think a, a system. I think it's a version. I think what what he's established is what what the old Soviet Union was. It's it's the it's the it's the complete and total klepto. Is he making the world a better place? What are the Russians doing for us? You what have the Russians ever done? Do for you us? fear Russia over China? I fear China more than Russia. I feel chi- I fear China. 100% over everything, because if you understand the psychology of their master plan is to take over the world. Well, I, and I mean, that that I know. I've been to Beijing. I've been worst to Beijing, food, too. Worst food in the world, smog, you didn't traffic, go to places. smog sucked. Horrible. So we got to stop being afraid of everybody. That's the whole thing about the book, about being afraid. First of all, we all need to pitch in together. And this is what Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, and these guys, and our current guy in the White House isn't doing. There's a thing for Carlo. This thing for Carlo and his generation and my children's generation, and it's called climate change, and Australia's on fire, and, it's, and you talk about Beijing, they've got their own problems. And one of the problems, smog. one of the problems, oh, smog, it's, it's poison. And India is, is people who haven't and, traveled. And everyone's worried about the climate change. No one's dealing with them. That's, that, that's, that, that's coal plants and all kinds of, and cars and stuff that they're not handling. Mm. They've got, Xi Jinping has got everything he can do Right. You don't think he's a little bit scared about what's going on in Hong Kong? You know, he's looking over his shoulder is trying to keep a billion point four people from from not. Well, he puts them he puts them in concentration camps. That's what he's doing. Do you know how many Chinese were killed by the Chinese in the last 50 years? I think something like 40 million Chinese were killed by Chinese over the last 40 years. This was the best thing the Americans did during the Cold War. This is the best thing the Americans can do now is is try to observe Rule of law, the principle, sure, we fail, but we believe in rule of law. You believe in rule of law. Yes. We believe in fairness. We believe, we believe that when people, people shouldn't go into government and end up coming out with billions of dollars. Which we they bo- do. We, but, yeah. but not all of them do. 
Mm. But not all of them do. There's plenty of public servants, well, and you know public servants. That's one of the reasons why who did, who did not make, well, who did not get rich doing it. This is one of the reasons why, you know, with all the narcissism and lying aspects of my president, uh, Donald Trump, who I know 45 years, who I call a lying narcissist. But one part about him, and I gave him fifty thousand dollars. I I like what he's doing. He's trying to get things done. And let's be real about it. The evidence that's at hand now, if you're going to try to impeach somebody, give me bribery. Give me some shit now. I mean, like even with the mayor of New York City, they locked these two Jewish guys up from Brooklyn for bribing somebody. It was de Blasio. To have a bribery charge, you have to have the briber and the bribee. And de Blasio was the guy being bribed. And yet they got locked up and de Blasio didn't get locked up. So this is the rule of law when you talk about the rule of law. But my point with with President Trump, he's the kind of guy I know him 45 years. He's the guy that could sit with Putin and say, hey, Vladimir, he don't drink, first of all. Trump does not drink, never drank, even though he had his own vodka. He should bring a bottle of his Trump vodka over there and say, look, you got your great country. We have our great. You have nationalism. You respect your country. I respect mine. We have to. Learn how to live together because I could wipe you out. You could wipe me out. We wipe the world out. That's not winning. But in reality, I don't want to hurt what you're doing, but you cannot excess yourself and go and start eating up. I can't stand back and let you do it. So I'm going to let you know right now. You go after these countries. We're stepping up. But let's not. Let's try to live in harmony some way. I want to see harmony. I have a grandson. I want to see him see the end of the world. I don't want to see the end of the world in his lifetime, and that's what it would be if we go to war with Russia and or China. And that's what Gorbachev and Reagan, they, they began, the end of the Cold War began. Gorbachev and Reagan said, we need to abolish nuclear weapons. They can never be used. That's how they, that was the rapport when they yeah, get together. Who could you trust? Well, but they're going to trust China to no, get rid of them but or what, Russia. No, but what they succeeded in doing is they succeeded for the first time in removing entire classes of weapons. And that was their goal. And they were making progress. progress yeah. Yes. So we still Putin's got 5000 nuclear warheads. We have 5000 nuclear warheads. Why? Why? Well, on that note. On that note, I want to ask you, what, what, what's your next project you got? And I, I, do, I, do, I do tell the listening audience to get your book. Uh, someone is out to get us. Brief history of the Cold War paranoia and madness. Now, if you listen to our discussion today, there'll be evidence in the book and facts and actuality that I learned facts today, Carlo. I learned some stuff today talking to Brian, and I think you will when you pick the book up. It's very interesting interesting because it's all about what our future is going to be. You always look at history to know what the future is going to be, and you must learn from history for the future. I think my next project is there was a phrase there was a phrase that was popularized in the 19th century by an abolitionist minister about he, he, he spoke and he, he said he was an anti-slavery minister. And he said, um, I, I'm not sure about what's ahead, but I believe that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. It may not happen right away. And I think for our children, I think we have you and I, Bo, in our generation, our Cold War, even though you saw more of the night is is. We have a responsibility in, in imagining a moral universe without nuclear weapons, 
and in which we really are doing something about climate change. And again, as a grandfather, I, I, I'd love to agree with you, but I mean, just what's happened in New York State with this idiot mayor and this idiot governor with this criminal reform bill, woman was beat up and robbed with a guy with a stick, and he robbed it. He had several history of several robberies. He was released. No bail. Now, the bail reform, I'm for. There's no reason why a nonviolent crime, someone should stay in jail for a $1,000 bail. That's bullshit. That's originally what it's all about. Now, you have violent crimes, no bail. The judge actually says, under the new bail, under the new criminal reform act, I got to release you. Where are we going with that? Where, where are we going with the people going to work every day on the subway, walking around New York City, when you know someone who just got locked up on an armed robbery is out and you can't hold them? We're going in the wrong direction there. We're really going in the wrong direction. What jails are for are people that are affecting other people's lives. And people out there should have the right to be safe. And right now we're going in the wrong direction. That could be the abyss of what's going to occur. Then other people are going to say, well, if the police, they actually talk about liberals, talking about dismantling the police department. We don't need police. Really? Then what do we do? We just have the warriors handling New York City and this country, then we'll have the psychopath right-wingers with machine guns, and we're just going to have a mess, mass hysteria. So it comes down to what you just said was very true, law and order. It does come down to law and order. And law and order can mean a few things. It can mean corruption, or it could be something else. It could be violence, corruption. It's all law and order. No? We, ask, we ask our police to do far too much. We ask them to be social workers. We ask them to be, do a hundred things. They take care of a crazy man. God bless. And, God and, bless. And, our, when, our, and our, when they do something wrong, they're ready to hang them, but yet they have to make those split session uh, decisions. Well, Brian, you're a very, very interesting guy, and uh, we look forward to your next book. And uh, people, if you want to try to get the, his book, Brian, where do you get it? Someoneisouttogetus.com. That's all you need to do. Someoneisouttogetus.com. You can order his book. Very interesting. And uh, you know what? On a weekend, you pick that book up. You'll learn a lot because it all touches upon us. Even though you might have not been alive during the Cold War, certainly it will tell you the history, the true history of what went on. And I learned a lot today, Brian. I thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Carlo. All right. Brian, thank you very much. Very, very, well. very good discussion we had today. Uh, you can follow us on social media. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo's at Bo Deedle on Twitter and at the Real Bo Deedle on Instagram. You can email us any questions, comments, guest suggestions uh, to One Tough Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us at WABCRadio.com. We got one more thing we almost forgot, Carla. We do Punk of the Week. Punk of the Week is a thing, person, or something that's really pissing you off this week. So I ask my guests all the time, what is the thing that's bothering you or a person? What is bothering you the most this week? Anything. Uh, I, don't like, I don't like this guy, Mike Pompeo. Uh, Mike Pompeo. Yeah. I, 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 I don't like this guy, Mike Pompeo, our, our, our Secretary of State, because I, I think he's a he's – a, Carla, obviously I'm a liberal. Is yeah. I'm not happy with Mike Pompeo. Um, I, I think we we've we made things. You are happier with John Kerry better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. You. But my punks. My, my, All right. So my, you. Uh, I, I respect Pompeo. that. What about you, Carlo? I would have to say our governor. Uh, he deflected any questions about the bail reform act in his uh, state of the state address. He and he didn't even talk about it. It's his baby. This is what's going to happen to New York under this new law, and he's not addressing it or talking about it at all. I think that's a punk move. 
Well, you know, that would be my punk of the week, but I don't want to duplicate what you feel. I'm going to have a reversal today. I listened to the interview of uh, Hillary Clinton by Howard Stern the other day, and I'm telling you something. I called up, uh, what's my friend's name there, Lenny, Lenny Davis, and I says, invite her up to Rayo's. I want to take her out to dinner. I'm being serious. Now. I've reversed uh, my comments uh, on about on Hillary. If you listen to this interview by Howard Stern, she becomes so humanized. And all the, the, the negatives I have against her were diminished. I call up Lanny Davis. I said, Lanny, let's get her up there and have that. Honestly, if she did this interview and went public, she would have been elected president of the United States. She's a very intelligent, caring, compassionate woman, strong. And I tell you what. These countries that are messing with us, they wouldn't mess with us either if Hillary Clinton was in there. Now all my Republican <laughs> friends are going to say Bo's, Bo's, Bo's turned around. Just I just tell people, listen to the Howard Stern interview. I just got such chills listening to her and saying, wow, wow. And I've called her a lot of names publicly. But I tell you what, Hillary Clinton is a very smart lady, and she would have made a great president. She would have been a tough president, too. She wouldn't have been no Obama, and she was tough. When the time came to take bin Laden out, she was 100% of doing it. And uh, my apologies to Hillary Clinton. Now, you never thought you were going to hurt. Here, Bo Deedle apologize to Hillary Clinton, but I do. All right, so take a look out for that page six column when Hillary Clinton is, and Bo are at Rayo's sharing an Italian meal. It'll probably be happening soon. Hey, Carlo, you're going to have to book Hillary Clinton now. That's what he's saying to you, is you're going to get on the phone well, now. we got to take her out to dinner first. Make oh, that's nice. good. We're going to her up a little bit. Yeah. But thank you very right, much. We'll, we'll see you next you. week. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.